Hey everyone, welcome to the Opera Sky podcast. My name is Ricardo Monegas and I will be your host. On this podcast, we would like to share valuable knowledge, lessons learned, and stories from entrepreneurs, investors, and managers while running their businesses. We strive to ask the right questions and discover insight from our guests so you can apply them in your business and life right after each episode. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we are talking with Chan Drost. He is the CEO and co-founder of Phoenix Hydrogen. He has been studying computer science in the past and also co-found uh, one startup called Hack Reactor and also work in enterprise sales for Galvanize. We will be talking about these roles and of course what he's doing into hydrogen market as well. So welcome, Chan, how are you? Hey folks, uh, I'm doing good, uh, good to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So Chan, how, how do you start it, uh, Phoenix Hydrogen? So you were studying uh, uh, computer science, but then suddenly you're working into hydrogen. It was kind of a jump to that or how was yeah, how this, this story happened? Yeah. Well, so I started my career as a software engineer and I worked as an engineer and team lead for many years. Um, but I spent most of the last decade building and ultimately selling uh, my first successful startup, which was Hack Reactor, the coding bootcamp. Um, so we taught people to code and help them get their first job. And we grew that company to about 400 employees and uh, uh, 30 million a year in revenue and sold the company. And, 2019 and uh, uh, th to Galvanize, which was a company you mentioned. Um, and I worked there uh, as uh, 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 in, in a basically in a, in a bailout role. <laughs> I got charged with whatever was uh, failing in the company, <laughs> uh, which at the time that um, after we finished integration was a, a, our corporate training and enterprise sales effort. So uh, I, I did a little rescue mission at Galvanize and then stepped away and uh, started looking for my next project. <clears throat> I'm a, a really entrepreneurial person. I kind of thought about getting a job. I didn't really think about retiring, um, but I ended up deciding to start a company somewhere in the climate tech space, uh, just because like a lot of people, I'm terrified about the, <laughs> the uh, 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 rapid and very noticeable uh, change in the temperature of the planet, which I really... <laughs> I don't feel like I should be able to notice the rate of change of the temperature of the planet. That's something that like should change slowly. Mm. Um, so I got worried about that. I studied climate topics for a while and I chose hydrogen as, in, uh, as a market basically. And then I spent about a year before starting Phoenix Hydrogen just getting involved in a totally new sector and learning the ropes. And I taught myself project finance and I just started making myself useful in different ways. I organized a course for energy professionals uh, about hydrogen as a, a climate solution. Um, and uh, I uh, worked as a project manager on uh, a hydrogen grid planning effort called uh, Hydeal Los Angeles. Um, I uh, volunteered with this organization called uh, the Green Hydrogen Coalition on that effort. and. Uh, 
you know, I just did a lot of different activities and was looking for co-founders the whole time. And in that way, I came to understand a you know totally new sector and make myself into an energy professional. And uh, now I'm starting a company that has kind of one foot in the software camp and one foot in the new infrastructure world that I just learned about. And um, and that's kind of how I came to start Phoenix Hydrogen. Got it. And if you can explain a bit more what what is uh, Phoenix Hydrogen right now? What is the goal that you are planning to do and and your product? Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, what we are doing at Phoenix Hydrogen is we're working to build the first marketplace for clean hydrogen. So um, a lot of people have heard of hydrogen. A lot of people haven't. But basically. Um, You know, if you want to uh, stop using fossil fuels and fix the climate, ongoing climate pollution problem, then what you need to do is you need, you need to directly ever electrify everything that you can and like start using wind and solar energy for everything you can and like use batteries to replace fossil fuels uh, and and reduce consumption and like uh, and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but then there's a big chunk of things that are hard to solve with all those steps that I just described. Um, there are things like, how do you make like high temperature industrial heat? <laughs> how do you make steel? How do you make uh, fertilizer? And, uh, and it's really tricky to displace fossil fuels in those contexts. Or like, how do you move a container ship around? How do you move an airplane around? And in these contexts, uh, it turns out that Uh, like the next major pillar of climate solutions is hydrogen. And it's a, it's basically a molecular fuel, like natural gas. It's like a gaseous fuel that like, you know, you can burn it and it burns and then produces energy. Uh, and, uh, but, but it's a carbon free fuel. So when you burn it, it just makes water, <laughs> water vapor. So, mm -hmm. um, so and uh, the basic cycle is you can zap water with electricity with like wind and solar power turn it into gaseous fuel that you can use to replace fossil fuels in all these really difficult to decarbonize contexts. And then when you use that fuel, it just makes the water vapor again. So it's a circular system. Um, and uh, it's awesome. <laughs> so uh, this, this is a, a um, you know, a, a, there's, there's now a lot of hype about this sector within climate circles and your audience may or may not have heard about that. But this is all kind of starting to happen now. And uh, a lot of big, existing incumbents, energy users are looking at hydrogen as a um, fuel to power their operations and to decarbonize their operations. And um, and there is no marketplace for this ecosystem. It's just kind of coming together and it's all it's all coming together with entirely manual processes like, you know, people calling each other and trying to figure mm. out like this very complicated new world uh, without any tools to support them. And so Phoenix Hydrogen is the first marketplace built to serve this grid scale hydrogen ecosystem that is kind of being born right now. It's, uh, it's a, a, a big meaty mission and, uh, and just in terms of stage, we're a pre-revenue um, startup. We just finished our pre-seed fundraise. We raised about $2 million dollars um, from Y Combinator and uh, Cindy Bahuja, climate, climate tech investors. Um, a bunch of different Silicon Valley investors. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, we're a little, uh, uh, a pretty small team, three, three people full-time, three, three part-time. Um, so that's, that's our company and that's what we're working on. Got it, sounds good. Um, maybe we will go deeper into the marketplace itself and what you are exactly doing and so on and what are the processes, but maybe before arriving to it, uh, I would say, What is, how does it look your typical day right now based on this, uh, let's say, a small team? So you are using a lot of hats, I assume. 
or maybe can you describe us what what are the main tasks that you are focusing right now uh it's funny we're kind of like like i said we just wrapped the fundraise so like mm. all my responsibilities are shifting 100 i used to be 100 on the investor grind and now i'm uh my main job right now like after i hang up on this podcast is going to be go write a plan and like figure out what <laughs> i should be doing today <laughs> okay got uh, it but uh you know we're so you know everything changes every day but Uh, roughly speaking, like we have uh, a lot of a fair amount of software to write, and my my biggest role on that is to specify it and to play the product uh, leader role. So I am responsible for like uh, writing up high level specs and issuing direction to the design and software team uh, teams, and um, and then we also have um, you know so we're a company like Amazon or Flexport with like we're a website with with we're a digital website with like a physical like real world fulfillment system so we um uh we have a lot of operations going on connected to like tying into these hydrogen grid planning efforts and um and being a part of certain working groups and um and uh understanding at a very granular level the like workings of the um storage and transport and Uh, so, you know, so we, we, we uh, sort of need to understand the logistics side of our house and, and do certain tasks on the logistics side of our house as well. So there's a lot of work connected to that. Okay. But at this stage, you need, to, of course, to partner with the producers of the green hydrogen and make sure that everything is going well on, on that logistics, right? So how does it work for you? You need to partner with that and with those companies and, and also... Are there a lot right now? Is the market growing into green hydrogen compared to uh, fossil fossil fuel uh, hydrogen, let's say, or power it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there uh, there is a lot of interest and activity happening in the utility scale hydrogen world in North America right now, mm -hmm. and then even more in Europe. Um, and you know the. Uh, on the, 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 on the cell side for green hydrogen, for, uh, hydrogen made from renewable energy, this is the, the people who are trying to sell that are the same people who are trying to sell wind and solar energy. So they're like big project developers that are in the business of turning a plot of land into a, uh, energy, into a solar plant and, uh, or wind plant. And that's folks like, you know, um, EDF and intersect power and eight minute solar are all kind of examples of uh, what those people look like. And um, and then on the uh, buy side, the folks who are buying buying hydrogen or, or lining up to buy hydrogen are uh, basically people who buy natural gas today and have aggressive decarbonization targets. Um, so this is like um, in uh, California, which is kind of moving fastest on this. There are um, it's basically the power and gas utilities. So like Los Angeles was a early mover, and I had a lot of involvement with that ecosystem. Um, during my transition period. So that's like Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, LADWP, SoCal Gas uh, announced the first big clean hydrogen pipeline in North America about two months ago or three months ago called the Angeles Link. Um, so, um, you know, they're basically like a lamp oil company. <laughs> hmm. uh, I mean, that's exaggerating a little bit, but like they're a natural gas company in California that, and they see hydrogen as one of their paths forward that they can have a running business when as the climate rules tighten. Um, and so, 
Uh, and then Los Angeles DWP has like, they have a zero carbon by 2035 goal that the city council directed them to achieve. And in utility years, 2035 is like yesterday. So they're gonna procure all the wind and solar and batteries that they can, but they also uh, concluded that they need a clean firm technology that is like basically a power source that you can turn it on when you need it on, and then you can just keep it on until you're done with it. And there are just not a lot of good options for that. It was basically like hydrogen or biofuels or transmission. And they tried to build all the transmission they could and they couldn't do it. Uh, that was a battle that was fought last decade um, and before that. And then they, so now they're like, okay, well, they're really um, looking seriously at hydrogen and make, placing some pretty big bets. They've already spent many billions of dollars on, on uh, hydrogen infrastructure and um, our uh, LADWP are really leaders in, on the buy side of the marketplace. Um, I forgot the question. I can't remember if I answered it. <laughs> um, yeah, I was asking you about, yeah, how do you work with the producers? Oh, how do we work with yes. them? Yeah, so, so on the... Um, You know, our, we're in the business of um, setting up a, a shop, like you think of it like eBay. What, what we want to do is we want to uh, have a place where everyone can go to and they can find what they need. Uh, and there's, and it, basically the challenge with any marketplace is this, what's called the cold start problem uh, or like the empty room problem. Basically you need a lot of volume before anyone really finds your thing useful at all. And in a utility scale context, it's like a lot, a lot of volume. Um, and so, The way that we are uh, working to solve the critical mass problem is that we're developing the first storage asset for hydrogen. Um, so one of the challenges of hydrogen is that you need kind of like enormous thousand foot tall underground warehouses <laughs> to be able to usefully work with the material and to be able to utilize it as a fuel. Um, and there's just, there happened to be a shortage of, of that little piece of the equation. Um, and so I went into business and started Phoenix Hydrogen Um, <clears throat> with my co-founder Terence Vomasil, who's a geologist who specializes in this little niche asset. And so like, it's as though like, we're trying to start the Amazon for hydrogen. And one of the physical quirks of hydrogen is that the warehouses need to be extremely big and, uh, and they're kind of complicated. And so we're a company that uh, specializes a little bit in, in that. And then we're also building a, a software marketplace that is, uh, uh, you know, uh, can, broker trade around this big enormous warehouse um and this is a pretty common pattern in commodity contexts so like mm -hmm. any big commodity marketplace usually revolves around some kind of enormous warehousing operation that <clears throat> and so we're in the business of like making that physical hole in the ground a reality and like a permitted storage asset for hydrogen and of getting that storage asset on the pipeline into the pl pipeline planning processes for like these big uh incumbent uh energy majors who are sponsoring hydrogen pipelines. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, so that's what the um, infrastructure work stream looks like, is talking to folks like SoCal Gas and other uh, like uh, uh, gas distribution utilities and gas midstream uh, companies and, um, and like participating in these hydrogen hub formation efforts and like uh, proceedings and, just sitting in working groups talking about our thing, talking about what we know about hydrogen storage and, uh, and trying to understand how the grid is coming together and, uh, and, and be able to uh, fulfill trade on the, on that eco in that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Got it. Thanks for the explanation. Um, 
if you see right now what is the main usage of hydrogen in, or what industries are more focusing into making the switch as fast as possible, uh, at least right now in Los Angeles or in California, how do you see it? Yeah, so I mentioned the power and gas utilities, <clears throat> um, and I talked a little bit about their motives. Um, apart from them, the uh, some other folks that are uh, uh, some other folks that are leading in in the hydrogen ecosystem are like, of course, there's a lot of hydrogen uh, passenger vehicles in California, um, more more than uh, the rest of uh, the U.S. and, Euro and Europe combined. Mm -hmm. um, so that's uh, gotten a lot of press, and a lot of people think of cars first when they think about hydrogen as a fuel. Uh, but, uh, you know, like my uh, personal two cents is that that's a terrible plan. It's like electric vehicles are going to win for uh, passenger vehicles. Um, but, you know, there, there is uh, a lot more to be said for using hydrogen for trucks. And there's a lot of money getting spent on putting together hydrogen trucking fleets. And uh, Nikola is a company that uh, went through some uh, troubles, but... Uh, uh, does have an actual product, a, a truck that moves on its own uh, volition and, and uh, off of clean fuel. And that's a pretty significant accomplishment. And they are definitely going out and spending billions of dollars on setting up a hydrogen trucking infrastructure. Um, and uh, they're met on the other end by folks like um, the Los Angeles, uh, the ports of LA and Long Beach. And um, <clears throat> you know, they have really aggressive uh, uh, decarbonization targets for um, the, sec so the, the segment of trucking called drayage, which is basically like the, you got to take the uh, containers from the yard uh, at the port to, you know, somewhere within like 50 miles or so. And like these trucks do a lot of loops and the duty cycle isn't super con conducive for um, electric charging. Um, so, you know, hydrogen has a, uh, they're doing some pilots there. And the ports at LA and Long Beach also um, want to be one of the more aggressive global ports in terms of decarbonizing ocean-going vessels. And like, I, like a lot of people don't mm -hmm. know about how that works, but like you know, they burn like the dirtiest, dirty, dirty, dirty oil. Um, and uh, and then, of course, that all sits over LA and uh, causes uh, cancer for for uh, all the residents. And uh, so so there's. Um, uh, a real push uh, globally, but you know, LA wants to be a part of the leadership here in transitioning to cleaner burning fuels, um, hydrogen, and uh, and uh, basically uh, electrofuels built on hydrogen um, are a promising pathway for decarbonizing marine transport. So, um, you know, there's some other uh, uh, potential uses of hydrogen. Elsewhere in the country and the world, we see hydrogen playing a strong role in the production of steel and plastics and, um, and uh, a dozen other things that I'm probably forgetting right now. Okay. And in that process of uh, your vision, let's say, how do you see uh, hydrogen in, in, I don't know, five years from now? So do you see it really changing a lot the different industries or are, are removing completely the the fossil fuels or you see it still in baby steps or five years is too little for all this change right <laughs> yeah but this is uh you know this this climate stuff is like mm -hmm. it's a it's a it's a thing that you watch unfold over decades so like the arc of solar is like today solar is just this like miracle if you ask me it's the like single most exciting and uh, uh optimism inspiring fact of the 
um, of the energy transition story and the um, climate change story, the fact is that solar is the cheapest form of electrons today. And that's amazing. But that didn't happen in any five year span. That happened mm. over the course of like three decades. And it, you know, it's, it starts slowly and then it, it picks up steam. Now, hydrogen is in a really fast growing uh, deployment arc right now. Today, <clears throat> globally, there's something like 300 megawatts of electrolyzers operating right now. Um, and you don't need to understand too much what, 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 what that looks like. Just understand it's the number 300 is what's, what's running today, like machines that are running. Uh, and then, uh, <clears throat> uh, and then uh, projects that are in the FID stage and, and uh, construction stage total something like uh, 4 gigawatts or 4,000 uh, megawatts of electrolysis. Mm -hmm. So that's like uh, 300 going to 4,000 in, uh, in uh, the next probably like two years to three years. Um, and so like that's the arc of the growth curve that's happening right now in hydrogen. Um, and it, so it's going very quickly, but it's going through numbers that if you're familiar with the power system, they're pretty small right now. You know, it's in a place, I chose hydrogen because it's in a place where mm -hmm. solar was 20 years ago or where batteries were 10 years ago, where it's like, we're going through those baby steps and trying to get from something that's real, but kind of expensive to something that is, uh, the, the cheapest form of its kind of energy. And like, that's my interest in hydrogen is that. Uh, I'm here building a company in this space because I, I think hydrogen is going to become the cheapest form of uh, hydrogen is the, basically the pathway where wind and solar energy become the cheapest form of molecular fuel in addition to being the cheapest mm -hmm. form of ele electricity. Got it. Yeah. So it's in the path to create the fuel to power other stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can use use hydrogen as like a little chemical box to hold wind and solar energy and then go and displace more fossil fuels and uh and that's the mission plus that the entire earth is full of water right so <laughs> then yeah yeah <laughs> uh it's a it's a fairly abundant molecule <laughs> good um now you were talking before that you were in fundraising let's say mode <laughs> uh, yeah. before right so um how is the let's say the outlook of the investors to in, to go into hydrogen like if it will take like 20 30 years to go to be a mature market let's say so uh, how how is the feeling on that are they here to back you on that journey and do follow-ups yeah. rounds or how do they see yeah it? i would say there um there there was a significant number of investors who bailed uh, in large part because they think the timing is wrong for hydrogen. They think we might be two years early or five years early, but nobody thinks we're 10 years early. This is the right time. Like the iconic companies for any particular tech sector, they tend to get started early in the arc of the technology development life cycle. Um, so like Tesla didn't, uh, didn't start after someone, you know, they, 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 they took, um, electric cars from under 1% of, uh, of vehicle purchases and start riding the wave at that point, you know, um, like they, they, the, uh, the, um, that's the right time to start the big companies in a sector. So I didn't encounter a lot of resistance around that, um, more so from investors who weren't watching closely. Uh, the big challenge in our fundraise was basically like we're a pre-revenue moonshot company <laughs> and uh, and uh, we're leasing a thousand foot tall um, cavern underground. <laughs> And like, 
it's not it's not a normal startup investor story and mm. some people like that and some people did not hmm. so what kind of uh, what kind of investors are the ones that you were looking for so you weren't going to the normal software investor type let's say but you were looking oh yeah i sure i sure was so i we we <laughs> raised money from a fair number of climate focused investors um We also raise money from a fair number of just normal software investors, um, and especially uh, 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 folks who had started software companies. You know, like I'm not the only person who started a software company 10 years ago and made it, and then started getting really alarmed about climate topics. Like there are a lot of investors, uh, especially angel investors, who just out of a personal sense of mission and interest decided to start investing in climate topics. And so like there are some of those folks on our cap table. And we went out on a mission to find some folks who were like um, connected to uh, financial products and, uh, and commodity trading and try to uh, recruit some of those like uh, uh, smarter investors and um, you know people who were knowledgeable about areas that would be really relevant to our future. So, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, but, but uh, Yeah, it was a a, a real uh, real mix of real mix of things. Mm -hmm. So, and in that process of the fundraising, what is your main uh, recommendation to founders? Because I assume you had been doing fundraising as well for your previous companies, or so maybe mm -hmm. you have some experience, or what? You what, know, uh, what does it take? Yes, or if you have some takeaway out of those experiences. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, So I had, uh, we mostly bootstrapped Hack Reactor. We raised a little bit of money, but in a very unusual context, we raised a million dollars at a time when we already had about a $20 million revenue run rate, um, just because we needed cash in the bank for regulatory purposes. Uh, and it was, um, so it was a very unusual um, fundraise. And uh, so I would say that, um, you know, I had some familiarity with the fundraise, but this was the, um, Uh, most traditional and straightforward fundraise that I personally uh, 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 led. And it was um, uh, certainly very challenging. I think what I would say about uh, fundraising is that, uh, you know, mostly what investors want to see is other investors piling in and customers piling in. Um, and so we didn't have the second one of those. <laughs> and that wasn't really in the cards for us. Um, And so we uh, uh, tried to engineer a fair amount of um, FOMO and, uh, you know, that's just a part of the tactics. If you go out and Google how to raise a round, then you'll see that that's a pretty common uh, part of the basic structure of a fundraise. You try and organize things where you're uh, meeting with a lot of investors in a compressed time frame and trying to build momentum and, uh, and Uh, and so, uh, to be honest, we, despite, um, despite being in a really like topical space and having a really killer team and a really big vision, nobody ever doubted that our market was big enough to succeed, to, to, uh, to be venture backed. Like, uh, and the fact that I previously built and sold a startup, which is, you know, a superpower in investors eyes in many contexts. Despite all that, we actually really struggled to fundraise. We went out to raise around in September and October, and uh, basically couldn't. Uh, uh, we we were we ran into enough uh, uh, negative feedback that we hit pause on that, and we uh, had to reorient. Had to kind of like 
re review how we were pitching the company and how we were conducting the fundraise. And um, as a part of that, we decided to join Y Combinator. Well, we applied for Y Combinator and were invited to join. Um, and so we went through that program and uh, you know, it's a, that, that's a really great community uh, of practice and, you know, but a big part of what they are organized around is making uh, your pre-seed fundraise work uh, and come together really easy. And so we had all the benefit of that program uh, and that was, uh, I, I credit Y Combinator with uh, probably uh, half or more of the investor interest in, in a round. Um, so there's a... Uh, <clears throat> There's a reason accelerator programs exist. Uh, I, I found that investors were more interested in the fact that we were a Y Combinator company than the fact that I had previously built and sold a startup, <laughs> which I don't understand that really, but okay. Um, <laughs> okay. So yeah, there was something, or do you still believe something out of Y Combinator changed your, your something in the process of fundraising based on their advice or... Yeah, or I had was just the after experience. It was, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, nothing much changed about the company. I, I mean, you know, several months passed and we made progress, but like nothing much changed. It was the same company uh, as it had been, but we, we told the story differently. We organized the fundraise differently. We got a lot more interest just because y, y Combinator is a really effective machine for that. And then we were able to close a fundraise. Mm -hmm. Got it. And so basically it took you around six to seven months, more or less, or if you are saying that, right? Or yeah. I mean, we, uh, we spent about a month uh, on the fundraise the first time before we pulled the plug. And then we went back to execution for about four months. And then we uh, went to the fundraise and wrapped it up in about six weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, I am curious about, because you said that you take uh, like one year to enter into the climate uh, ecosystem, let's say, understanding of the markets and so on. So did you follow any specific way to do that research or did you just go to events and get knowledge or how was it for you? Yeah, so uh, a lot of it was winging it and just Googling stuff and reading the IPCC reports and reading high level stuff like Project Drawdown. Um, Uh, but uh, if uh, when I talk to people it, later on, um, you know, uh, the, actually a lot has improved about how to find your pathway into climate topics since I got started. Uh, uh, there's a, now a couple of different climate boot camps. Terra.do is one that I can recommend. I went through that program and that was a big part of my transition story. Uh, so that's Terra.do. Um, and... There are uh, there are others now where you can that will take you basically from I know there's a problem and I'm vaguely aware of the details but I I don't know how I fit in to like I get it I understand where we are in the problem and the solution and what are the different pieces and how can I plug in um, and so like that is now a much more paved journey than it was at two two and a half years ago when I started going through it um, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, regardless of, of how you do it, there's going to be a lot of Googling. <laughs> mm, got it, of course. And how did you build your team? So it was mainly f because of the passion to go into climate or how, how was that process for you? Yeah, well, I, you know, I got started looking uh, throughout the period that I was uh, moving, uh, I was transitioning in the, um, into climate, I was looking for co-founders and I did a lot of activities to try and find the right co-founder, but um, I want to 
really recommend the uh, one step that really paid the most benefits for me. And that was just put up a job posting. Um, so uh, uh, I put up a job posting at one point that uh, mentioned co-founder like in the first line of the job. Uh, but otherwise it basically just read like a job posting. <laughs> and, uh, and that was phenomenally successful. Like a lot of people reached out who weren't co-founder material. They were trying to apply for a job and maybe they were, I don't know. But a lot of people saw that and you know, people involved in, in a certain space will keep tabs on what's going on in that space because they're interested. And job postings are a really high fidelity source of information. And so you know, they're keeping eyes on, there are a lot of people out there who are like looking at the job postings that mention hydrogen periodically. And several of those people reached out and now they're a part of our team. Um, and like we joined forces and that was how I met Terrence, my co-founder. Um, and so, yeah, that was uh, one approach that I want to recommend. I also met a lot of folks who down the road became investors or uh, supporters in different ways through different Slack channels I'm a part of, like My Climate Journey or different um, uh, through Terra.do. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, there's, there are a lot of uh, thriving communities out there and you just go out and uh, f f figure out, just, just go become a part. Got it. So thanks for that. And based on this process also, do you have any recommendations of uh, mentors or institutions? I know, of course, of Y Combinator, but uh, do, you, do you follow any other acceleration program that you would like to be part in the future or something like that? Uh, I want to shout out to uh, give a shout out to Elemental Accelerator. I, I wasn't uh, never ended up uh, finding a way to get involved, but um, they're just like an incredibly cool climate oriented uh, accelerator with a really uh, amazing focus and, and track record on uh, actually making uh, uh, charting a path forward for like the the most challenging kinds of climate companies to start, and also uh, really centering equity along the way and making uh, making uh, that a uh, core competency of the uh, companies that go th that pass through their their uh, doors. And uh, yeah, so I just want to shout out to Elemental, um, Terra. Do I've talked about uh, climate base is another um it's like a climate job board that is now i think expanding and maybe is more of a community oriented um uh effort at this point i've mentioned my climate journey that's a a, a slack community that i think is uh that, that is definitely worth recommending uh i um i think the question was more about like programs or something but i'm gonna uh, start recommend a couple of uh <laughs> educational resources my favorite uh, podcast is the Energy Transition Show, which you should sign up for the paid version immediately and just eat, just eat the expense. It's not that much money. Just do it. Just get over the hump. Um, that's the best uh, uh, energy uh, uh, transition podcast out there. And uh, I also want to recommend the um, uh, Carbon Direct uh, Daily Newsletter. Um, that's uh, it's talks. It's nominally about carbon markets, but really it's just about um, uh, it's about all topic climate um, from a deeply wonky global perspective. Um, so that's also, uh, I highly recommend that. Um, yeah, so uh, those are some resources that folks might find interesting. Good, thanks for that. Um, also more talking about now coming back to your background in software. So 
how has been your experience into designing and developing software? So what are your your main advice when someone wants to start building a digital product? So what is the process that you like to follow if you have anything on this perspective? Yeah, well, um, all, uh, I mean, generally speaking, uh, I, I'm a part of the uh, Silicon Valley community of practice that's really about um, uh, iterating on product and about MVPs. And uh, I'm, uh, you know, try to build as little software as you can. I think that uh, for most companies, the right way to launch is with a landing page and to come to understand the uh, that there that there is a need for the thing that you're building before you go out and like software takes a long time so like before you go out and build some kind of really complicated thing try to see if people will actually want to sign up for it and then try to build as little software as you can to like make something somewhat useful for someone um, there, there was a one of the talks in in the Y Combinator batch was uh, from Paul Bukite the author of Gmail and uh, when it first started, I want to say that uh, the only thing I could do was search your old inbox. <laughs> and it was just a little plug-in for your existing email. And and then you just added one feature at a time on top of it from there. Because uh, until people started coming back to it every day and started using it all the time. And then um, it, and his, his deal was basically like, I'm going to launch this publicly when there's a hundred people that are using it all the time and, uh, and that really love it. Uh, and, <clears throat> you know, I think that kind of, uh, iterative software development process is, has a lot to recommend it. Um, yeah, the, uh, uh I don't think, I think that's pretty vanilla advice, but it's, uh, worth repeating. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's maybe the best advice is common sense and, and of course not going into a pipeline of three months before validating the market maybe I don't know <laughs> yeah good uh, till now do you have any fuck up that you have had in this journey with your previous companies and with Phoenix Hydrogen that maybe what you learn out of that if you can tell us about your mm. your failures <laughs> oh wow uh, so many so many failures along the way um well, we, um, when we started Hack Reactor, we had a little bit of an unusual uh, uh, growth arc of a company. Um, and basically we, we had a, a three-year run that was like the best, just an incredible startup run. We, we, we grew from like, um, from nothing to like three million in our first full year of operations in revenue to like eight and then tw 20 or something like that. it was like some kind of crazy run and then we had this like terrible downfall of like um, regulars started coming after us we started having um, all these uh, challenges with um, student enrollment and like our first big uh, shaky uh, challenges to product quality and um, and uh, one of the things that uh, that I learned through that process is um, is that uh, it's uh, it's you learn a lot more on the way down than you do on the way up, and um, and it's uh, it's all part of it. So j just try to keep your head up. Um, the uh, the 
I would say the single biggest tactical learning that I had from Hack Reactor is that uh, we really underestimated how much investors would add value to the company. Um, you know, we were bootstrapped, we were able to afford that. But if I could go back in time and take investor money that we didn't need, I would actually choose to do that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that was, uh, I think, I, I don't hear that message very often out there in the world these days. I think there's a lot more interest in folks who are interested in bootstrapping and th think that venture capital is evil. But, uh, you know, there is a, I think that if you're starting a company that you want to see grow really quickly, there's a playbook for that. And there's a lot of details to like, um, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of like uh, common wisdom from folks who have seen it before. And uh, you won't necessarily have that as a as a founder, um, and uh, so uh, that was one concrete takeaway that I think is a little underappreciated. Um, I don't know if I can tell you yet what are the lessons from Phoenix Hydrogen. Like I'm two and a half years in now to uh, trying to chart this transition into starting a startup company. And some days I wake up feeling like the king of the world, like we're starting this, the, the most important company of our generation. And some days I wake up like I just wasted two and a half years of my life. Now, I don't know, you know, if any, like we don't have a dollar revenue yet. Um, and, you know, I didn't start the company until about a year ago, but uh, it has been a long and slow pathway. And I, um, you know, I look to, there are some other folks who, uh, that, who kind of started the transition at a similar time frame to me and like moved a lot quicker. And um, so, you know, it's, um, it's a, a definitely feels like some parts of this will look back, uh, I'll look back on this and, and think like that was the, uh, uh, that I'll, I'll have learned what the lesson was, but I don't know if I can tell you what it is yet. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the uh, it's a, a lot easier to, um, to learn the, uh, the lesson looking uh, backwards than while you're sitting in the uh, the rickety roller coaster kind of being jostled. Exactly, yeah, I understand that. So just curious about, you said, okay, your company is in pre-revenue stage and you said that, of course, the investors, one of the validation points, of course, of your company was uh, of course, the size of the market, of course, is one biteable, is quite important, right? The industry and so on. And of course, Y Combinator as a, let's say, acceleration program who is supporting you. Uh, mm -hmm. So, but in this stage of pre-revenue, what, what were the metrics that the investors as well were checking on you? So, because I, I know that you have, of course, a website, you are kind of showcasing what is your vision, where are you going? Um, is this was crucial for you, like to have these, let's say, prototype versions of what you are building, or how was it for you on, on that perspective? Yeah. Yeah. The materials that we've been shopping to investors basically are like a deck that talks about the vision, um, the uh, um, a brief walkthrough of what the software product looks like right now, and it's not a very good product. It, it, it's, it's a pro, uh, platform. It's basically like an info uh, in a uh, audience building product today. Uh, we give away information and try to help people generate leads. It's like a platform for trade that can't do fulfillment or um, it's kind of like a, the Craigslist version of a, of a marketplace. It's not very useful right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
uh, so, you know, but nonetheless, we are just circulating a walkthrough of that. Uh, and, um, and, uh, and we are circulating a, uh, uh, like a, uh, we, we've offered to every, to a lot of investors to look through our like thousand file, um, project development folder where like the infrastructure side of the house, it, all the work is being done and that stuff. And that's where like 90% of the man hours of our company have been spent so far. Uh, and no one's wanted to take a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like arcane stuff that no one knows about. Like, how are you going to diligence a, a hydrogen storage asset project that is in a like pre-development stage? It's like no nobody's ever tried to diligence that. Uh, so, uh, with with the exception of this one oil and gas investment uh, vehicle that takes like twelve months to come to a decision. Got it. But so if you can summarize on how, what are the three key metrics that you consider the investors were more interested in on, and specifically on this stage of pre-revenue? So I, I consider, of course, market size, maybe vision of the company and team members, or how do you see it on that perspective? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, it's funny, like none of those, those things that you just mentioned, they're not really metrics, are they? Uh, like well, folks who are interested w w would have liked to have seen that we had LOIs, which is a, generally I would say a good practice and I would recommend mm -hmm. that um, that is something that we weren't able to line up for different reasons. Um, and uh, th but the and uh, uh, in, in that environment, like uh, the proof points that people were looking at were basically like team um, sector. And the fact that it's a marketplace. Everyone really loves marketplaces. Investors love marketplaces. They're like, <laughs> that's that's the place to be in a value chain. Got it. Got it. Okay. So thanks. Well, yeah, of course, I was mentioning metrics as a way to mention it. It's kind of the, let's say, yes, what you're saying, proof of validation that, yeah, this yeah. company will go somewhere, right? So. Yeah. And then a, a part of it was just, I mean, I, this kind of fits into team, but like the, the reality is that myself and Terrence, like we are deeply tied to some of some very interesting things that are happening right now that are much bigger than us. But, you know, like there, um, I was a project manager on like the first hydrogen grid development effort in North America and the, the first clean hydrogen grid um, uh, development effort in America. And, uh, and now there's like, I, I'm about as close as any human being on the planet is to like what's happening in that birth of a new energy commodity right now in America. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, Terrence like is legitimately one of very few experts at this very like niche thing. Um, and we really do understand and could speak convincingly to like what, is happening inside of SoCal gas that led to the announcement of the Angeles link and like what is going to happen like how what what is the hydrogen pipeline map going to look like in 2025 and 2030 and like people that came through um and you know uh so I just wanted to mention that like understanding your market deeply uh if you're a a, a pre-revenue company understanding your market really deeply and and um uh, having the uh, track record to back it is really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. Got it. And just as, um, let's say, opposite question to failure. So what is the most uh, proud moment you have in your career till now? So uh, you sell your company and uh, maybe it was this moment in, in work or 
Do you have any other moments that you feel more no, proud no. of? No, uh, just, no. Just as general context, usually the day that a startup founder sells their company, what you should do is call them and be like, are you okay? <laughs> it's not normally like a joyful day. <laughs> um, but uh, I would say what I'm most proud of in my career is the fact, <clears throat> so Hack Reactor was an education company. Um, we're... Uh, uh, we, we we help people learn to code and get their first jobs in tech. And our median student, as of the last time we were measuring it, our median student was getting a $40,000 raise. So like, um, <clears throat> I did, did some math at some point. I think for every dollar I took out of that company, we put like uh, $10,000 in the hands of just normal people. <laughs> uh, we also helped like a uh, about a dozen different nonprofit partners stand up learn to code programs around the world. The first learn to code program in the U.S. prison system, uh, learn to pro learn to code programs in like uh, a, a refugee camp in Jordan and like in all all, all over the uh, country and world, serving like uh, uh, low income and and, and like uh, underrepresented students and helping them get into tech and like uh, it is. Um, uh, I, I, it is, I, I am, I, I don't, I, th I, I would, it would be amazing to me if I, if I'm able to, uh, put out work product that has that kind of impact in the future. <laughs> my wife was asking me if my best days work wise are behind me and like, I don't know, but it, it could easily be. I'm, I'm really proud of that. And I was, <clears throat> I'm really grateful to have been a part of that company with my co-founders and the amazing team and all the students that passed through our doors. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, of course, maybe it's not really the, the maybe the peak yet. So you will you are participating into this tra energy transition. So it's it's something global, right? So it's not it's not that simple, right? So you will have a lot of more successes into the industry, right? <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, uh, if we're successful, what we're doing it could be extremely massive. Like our, uh, you know, energy commodities, like. Energy commodities are a, a scale of business that like normal people can't comprehend. There's like uh, the the main marketplace for like natural gas, for instance, is like uh, 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 natural gas futures that trade or, that settle at the Henry Hub or financially or physically, and like thirty billion dollars a day changes hands around that. <laughs> hmm. uh, and so like energy, like if we are successful at what we're doing, we could realistically move a trillion dollars to put clean and ener clean energy power plants in the ground. And like, that would be really cool. Uh, so fingers crossed, but uh, right now we haven't made a dollar. So we're just gonna try and stay focused <laughs> on, uh, you know, our, our executing on our pre uh plan. Got it, sounds great. So, uh, I mean, all success into that. Um, as a last point for today, so, how can people reach you out if they want to know more about hydrogen or or, or your journey and so on? <laughs> oh yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sean Drost. Good. So it's quite simple, straightforward. <laughs> okay. So thank you, Sean, for your time today. I hope uh, you have enjoyed the conversations as I did, and all success in your journey. And you can convert the one million dollar pre-seed to the trillion dollar. Uh, transition in the future <laughs> thanks for having me ricardo thanks for the conversation and uh yeah uh, cheers have a good day yeah have a good day thank you very much for joining us we hope you have enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights 
feel free to share with your friends and looking forward to seeing you next time.